Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. It's mentally yours from Ellen and Yvette. A focus on your mental health, you surely won't regret. It's mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally yours. Mentally yours. Welcome to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's weekly podcast about all things mental health. I'm Ellen. And I'm Yvette. And today we're talking about food banks. We're chatting to Charlotte, who has used them, and Grace Wilde, a senior policy researcher who works for food bank charity, the Trussell Trust. Yes, I've had problems with my mental health uh, for most of my adult life. Um, I was actually 21 when I had a breakdown in my final year at Oxford University due to the pressure of the environment and doing my degree and so on. Um, And that was quite a severe experience where I had to take um, some time out of my course, but I did go back and complete my degree, thankfully. And then um, I'm now in my 50s, so obviously that's a long time ago. Um, But I've had longer-term depression and anxiety and um, have experienced panic attacks in the past, but not anymore. And it's impacted my life um, very majorly because, well, I've been a carer for my disabled daughter, who's now an adult, and that also um, had... um, an impact on my mental health because she is severely disabled and she's one of twins and um, I was caring full-time for her for 12 years and then her dad took over and he's still doing that full-time now and the girls are nearly 22 now and I haven't been able to work in a full-time paid job since that time which is 10 years ago now that I handed it over so it has had a very major impact on my work opportunities, my finances, um, relationships with people, lots of things, really. And how have food banks supported you? Um, Yes, I was in a situation a few years ago where, unfortunately, I didn't really have enough money on the benefits I was on to live and to even to be able to afford food. And so I visited my local food bank um, a couple of times and, um, they gave me, you know, an emergency food parcel that lasted about three days in each case. And it did help at the time because it was literally a case of I did not have any money in my bank account and I couldn't buy food other than possibly using credit cards, which obviously is not a good position to be in in terms of you've got to pay the interest back and so on. Uh, so it helped me a lot at the time. And then eventually, 
it turned out that I wasn't receiving the full amount of benefit that I should have been and it was backdated and so on. And uh, fortunately, since then, I've been in a position where I haven't had to use a food bank anymore. I think it's really important to talk about how mental illness kind of contributes towards poverty and struggling with money, but then also to talk about the kind of flip side of it, which is that obviously money issues and being and struggling in debt and those kind of money problems can massively impact your mental health. Can you talk to us a little bit about your experience of that? How did, you know, struggling money-wise affect you mentally? Yes, I agree that it's definitely a two-way process. But because I haven't been able to work for for much of my adult life, um, I have been reliant on the benefit system. That means I've been, by definition, on a relatively low income. And um, at the same time, being on a low income means that everything is more of a struggle in terms of budgeting, managing to pay your bills, food, travel, clothes. Um, You know, I like to try and buy things for my daughters and one daughter is at university and help her out when I can. So it it is a a two-way thing that because I have long-term mental health struggles, I haven't been able to work for many years. And at the same time, because I'm on a low income, it's caused me a lot of stress and worry and anxiety that then does not help my mental well-being when you're constantly thinking, how do I pay for X, Y and Z? So it's definitely a very sort of symbiotic relationship, I think. I think a lot of people listening will have struggled with that. So I guess this is a kind of question for both you and for Grace, is how do we get people out of that cycle? me personally I'm now in a good place emotion I'm considering possibly um, earning a small amount of money through what they call therapeutic earnings which I'd be allowed to and I think that would be good for me in, in more ways than one but it is a very difficult cycle because for example I live in private housing I wasn't able to access social housing although I did try to get that therefore my rent is extremely high And I'm very fortunate it is paid for by housing benefit, but it does mean I would have to be on a very high salary, particularly living on my own, to be able to pay that rent. Therefore, I am in a poverty trap where I can't really earn very much anyway, because then it would all go, well, I just wouldn't be able to do it if I wasn't on the benefits I'm on. And so it is actually really hard to get out of on a practical level and also to, to feel confident enough in myself that I could cope with any kind of real work pressure. Because from previous experience, when I was at university and in other jobs I've done in the past, I do seem, to, unfortunately, to have a low threshold for stress compared with most other people. And I've accepted that. It's my personality. It's due to my childhood and things that have happened to me. But I have to be realistic that I can't put too much pressure on myself because if I do, my mental health would definitely go downhill. I think it's really important to just stress, like, first and foremost, that the most significant thing that drives people to needing to use a food bank is a lack of sufficient income and therefore the inadequacies of our social security system. We we know that um, hunger in the UK isn't about food it's about people not having enough money for the essentials that we all need in life and having to face really impossible decisions and um, being in that situation can just very clearly have a significant impact on someone's mental health so in order to 
and the need for food banks and prevent people having to turn to food banks for support, what we really need is a system that um, provides everyone with enough money uh, to get by um, and a proper social security system that um, that supports any of us when we when we might need it. Um, and not just in kind of um, obviously we're in particularly kind of difficult times at the moment um but yeah not just in in uh in times like these but um all the time um and yeah i, th- I mean some just also to say charlotte kind of talked about being kind of tipped over the edge and and i think that's something we really see quite a lot with people referred to food banks in our network that a lot of people referred to have had some really difficult experiences in the months leading up to that referral, whether that's um, illness or disability, or we see really high levels of homelessness, eviction, um, bereavement. Um, these are all experiences that put a strain on on our mental health and well-being um, and uh, can have a real kind of compound effect. So the, all these things kind of conspire together. Someone might lose their job because they're struggling um, and that in turn exacerbates their mental health problems. Um, and all of this is really kind of conspiring together to play a real role in, in um, levels of poverty in the UK. Um, Charlotte, so how did you get involved with the Trussell Trust's work because um, you also um, volunteer for them, don't you? Yes. Um, it was quite sort of a straightforward way that I became involved. Uh, something came up on my Facebook saying, have you had lived experience of uh, food poverty going to food bank? And I don't know why something in me made me fill in the online form because I don't tend to volunteer uh, my um, experiences in that way. But I think it was something I felt strongly about. And a very nice colleague from the Trust for Trust got in contact with me on the phone. We had a long conversation and she's been supporting me ever since. And uh, it went from uh, from there, really. And then because she knew that I'm very keen on poetry, uh, both reading and writing my own poetry, she suggested me writing, if I could, um, a poem about going to a food bank. And that was then made into a film uh, for the on behalf of the trust or trust um which was very powerful um and has been viewed a lot on the internet and so on, and was featured in um newspapers as well so that's how i first became involved with the trust or trust charlotte can i ask you a bit of a kind of heavy question <laughs> i apologize yes, in advance <laughs> i wanted to ask you a little bit about kind of the lingering after effects of your experience because i know you're in a much better place now but do you still feel like that kind of like a hangover or kind of like some kind of fear that this might happen again, especially with the cost of living crisis? I, I definitely do. The cost of living crisis is affecting me like millions of people. But also there is a fear that possibly in the future my benefits may be reduced or taken away from me because I do have to prove every few years that I do have mental health issues, I'm not able to work. And my fear is because I've been functioning so well, and I'm in fact in the process of coming off the only medication I've been on of antidepressant, that's a positive thing. But I'm now worrying that they're going to look at my application form and say, well, how can she claim that she's got depression when she doesn't even take medication for it? How do you how do you cope with that? Because that's such an awful thing where you you are obviously getting better but you feel like you shouldn't like that that's mad how do you cope with that 
it's a, it's a, I know it is a, a strange, crazy, as you say, situation. It even, to be honest, to be frank, put me off coming off the antidepressants. I've been on them for nine years. And my GP, who's a very good doctor, would frequently ask me if I still wanted to be on them. And I used to say, yes, I do want to be on them. They're my insurance policy. This is how I felt. Um, and I've been on the minimum dose for a long time. And But that I thought, if I do come off them, I can't prove, as it were. But in the end, I thought, no, it is the right thing for me to come off them. I've got to give it a try. So far, so good. I feel exactly the same not being on the medication as I felt being on it. But I am concerned for the future that I am going to be hauled up in front of these people that are often not very qualified in the field of mental health. And they hold my financial uh, situation in their hands. If they decide that um, I'm not entitled to ESA and PIP, but I would definitely appeal and I'm a fighter and I'd fight for it for my right to get those benefits. But it is a concern for me at the moment that I may be considered too well to be in on the benefits I'm on but with no other real alternative with the rent that I would pay which would be 850 pounds a month for a flat two-bedroom flat if I wasn't on benefits how am I going to afford that and council tax which I get paid for at the moment and all my bills you're looking at I've worked out I'd need to be on a salary of minimum 30,000 a year and that's not going to happen so I, you know, I am dependent on the benefit system very much. So, I think it's great that you say, you know, you're a fighter and you would fight it, but it's also sad because you shouldn't have to do that. You definitely shouldn't have to, but because of my experience of being a parent carer for a severely disabled daughter, um, which again should not be the case that parent carers fight for everything for their job. And one of the reasons I had to give it up after 12 years was I was ground down by it. But I have fought for everything for my daughter and I would do the same for me. But you shouldn't have to. The system should be a lot easier. And also, I'm one of the fortunate ones because I'm articulate and educated and I can advocate on behalf of myself. Not everybody can. And they're the people that I really fear for the most. Grace, what kind of support is there at the moment for that situation and what needs to change to make it so that no one is in this situation again? Mm. Well, I mean, um, we see we see a really high overrepresentation of people coming to food banks who have disabilities, um, but very low levels of of people who are able to claim disability benefits, which suggests something about how just exactly as Charlotte's been talking about, just how difficult it is to get access to to those benefits. Um, I mean. The reality is that benefits just are not sufficient um, and um, our recent we did some research recently and found that 40% of people who uh, are in receipt of universal credit are being forced to skip meals to survive um, and one in five were unable to cook hot food this summer um, and we are seeing that. Uh, across the food banks in our network, people asking for cold parcels, so things that that don't need cooking because they don't want to put the the uh, oven on. And this is in the warm weather. This is like, you know, we haven't even got into the territory of of um, energy bills going up. So the reality is that the benefit system is just completely insufficient, and um, 
that's why the government urgently needs to uprate benefits in the spring. We're extremely concerned at any suggestions that this might not happen in line with inflation, uh, given the experience of, of so many on the lowest incomes at the moment. So, I mean, the reality is that that's, that's what urgently needs to happen is an uprating of benefits. Um, of course, like beyond the financial support there are there are other services available we've partnered recently with mind um we see that 72 percent of people referred to food banks in our network um someone in their household has a mental health problem so we see really high levels of mental health um problems and so we've partnered with mind to to uh, refer people on to to more specialist support um and food banks in our network are doing absolutely everything they can to support people uh, facing hardship but no one should have to turn to a food bank um, and so we're working hard to prevent that um, in the long term and prevent that becoming kind of institutionalized and accepted by us as a country. Um, Grace you, you have covered a lot of this but I think I'd really like to hear more about um, what the Trussell Trust does um, just because for some people listening they might be new to it or they might not really understand fully or they might have a vague idea it's to do with food banks, but they might not understand how they can access them. So could you give people some information about all of that small question? That would be great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So the Trussell Trust, um, we're a, a national charity. We're a network of food banks right across the UK. Um, and so the food banks in our network are doing absolutely everything they can tirelessly working uh, around the clock to support people with emergency food parcels um, when when households are facing uh, financial hardship. But as an organisation, we're working to end the need for food banks. We don't believe it's right that um, that so many people in the UK can't afford all the essentials that that we all need to to get by. Um, so we we work to change policy. So that I, I've talked a lot about the benefit system. We do a lot of work to to try and change policy so that the benefit system is is sufficient and provides uh, sufficient uh, income. Um, but also working to we work to address the kind of stigma associated with poverty and uh, needing to use a food bank so that uh, there's just greater understanding. Mm. But if somebody does need to turn to you, what's the process for them doing that? Anyone who needs like food banks in our network are there to support anyone who is facing financial hardship. They will not let anyone go hungry um, and they are there when they're needed uh, by anyone who needs them. Yeah. So where, where should people go to to find out more information about the Trussell Trust? Yeah, absolutely. So on our website, um, if you go to trusseltrust.org forward slash get help, um, there's loads of information there about how to find your local food bank um, and how to get in touch with them for support. And also there are different phone numbers uh, depending on where you live in the UK um, for our Help Through Hardship helpline where an advisor can talk you through um the difficulties that you're you're facing and help you uh, get the support the financial support that that you need that's brilliant grace thank you so much really appreciate it and, and thank you charlotte as well and um, that was really great um is there anything else either of you would like to add before we wrap up um i just i don't know if you'd include this but i do feel there should not be a stigma at all about going to a food bank of reaching out uh for help that you're not able to cope financially this is happening to so many people at the moment due to energy prices inflation food prices everything going up so that would be my main message um 
please do not feel that there is a shame or stigma attached to it. They shouldn't be. They're very friendly and welcoming when you do go to a food bank. They can signpost you for other support and be there to listen to you and what you're going through. And, uh, and that's part of the experience of it as well as just actually getting the food parcel. So that's something I feel very strongly about also with mental health there shouldn't be a stigma and that's one of the reasons I'm very happy to speak about my long-term mental health problems because I want people to understand that it's a common thing it can happen to anyone it happens to many people and it certainly should not be something that's taboo or not spoken about. So this is goodbye If you've been affected by any of the issues we've been chatting about today, please give the Samaritans a ring on 116123. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and subscribe to our channel and perhaps even go back and listen to some old episodes. We have many of them. Also, you can get in contact with us. We have a lovely Facebook group, which is called Mentally Yours. And we're also on Twitter at MentallyYRS. See you next week.